Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Are you guys doing all right this morning? We, we, uh, if you uh, were, were looking to get baptized and you grew up Presbyterian, if you want to go to this section over here, there's some sprinkles coming down from the ceiling, and that will work out real well for you. Uh, that's why we moved, the, uh, we, we moved uh, some of the chairs, because we felt like, you know what, you probably on a cold Sunday don't want cold water dripping on your head, and you probably also don't want to be on America's Funniest Videos by taking a large spill in church, and so... When they, when they built this building, and they've worked really hard to fix it every, I mean, last year it happened too, uh, but there are just some roof leaks, and so uh, we, that's why we moved those chairs. Well, I uh, don't know if you already know this, if you were here this past week, uh, we mentioned this to you, but next week, December 8th, uh, we are actually going to be on the opposite side of the campus. We had to do that on Mother's Day. Uh, we did our services in the gym instead of in here. And so basically everything's exactly the same, except we're, we're just in a different room. And so uh, that's something that if you accidentally show up on this side, we'll have somebody here uh, just to kind of direct you that way. Next week in this room, uh, the school is doing their Christmas. It's actually Dracula, so I don't know if it's a Christmas play, but it's a December play, and it's actually taking place on Sunday, and so that's going to take place in here. But next week, we're going to start our series called Thrill of Hope, uh, which is going to be our Christmas series. It's going to kind of lead us into Christmas Eve, uh, and if you've been with us the last few weeks, we uh, have talked about some, some goals that we set as a gathering. The last series we did, and I wanted to give you a quick update, uh, the last series we did, we did a series called More Than a Hashtag where we talked about how we wanted to be people that didn't just look at problems, post about problems, talk about problems, but we wanted to be a a gathering and individuals that actually did something about the issues in our day and in in our neighborhoods. And so we laid out four goals, uh, and if you've been here the last few weeks, the first week uh, we laid out a goal that was 50 uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes that we wanted to do. Uh, And you guys hit a home run. We ended up doing 76. Uh, Our second goal, uh, which is between now and Christmas, is we said, hey, let's try to invite 50 of our neighbors or co-workers, people that we haven't had in our home. Let's invite them into our home just to have them in our home and get to know them. And let's not 50 each, but 50 as a gathering. Let's let's together invite 50 people into our homes and, and just to get to know them. Uh, So that was one of our goals. Uh, Another goal that we set was we were trying to raise $5,000 above and beyond our giving. And what we were going to do with that is we were going to give 2,500 of it to our community. And we were going to give 2,500 of it to church plants in this next year. And if you were with us the day we introduced that, we actually interviewed some people on the stage that talked about where that money in our community is going to go to help families. 
And I wanted to give you an update because next week is our last week for that offering. Right now we have about just over $2,800 that you guys have given above and beyond our normal giving towards that. And so uh, it's been, been really cool to watch God work. Next week's our last week for that. Uh, and then our last goal was we are praying and asking God that 500 people would come to one of our two Christmas Eve services where we're going to take some time to share the gospel. Uh, and so those were our four goals, and I wanted to give you a quick update on those. Continue to pray and continue to just ask God to, to give you opportunities with your neighbors. Uh, and let's just see what God does uh, by the end of December as we seek to impact our community and the nations uh, with the gospel of Jesus. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into uh, what we want to talk about today. Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for uh, how you're at work. Lord, I'm thankful for just what, a, what an opportunity we have in this season to look to your plan for this world. And God, in, in your sovereignty, all the way back at the beginning of this world, when sin entered this world, you had a plan. And your plan was to send your only begotten son, Jesus, to this world as, as a 100% God, 100% man, and he would come here for one reason, and that is to rescue us so that we could have a relationship with you. And God, I pray in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of what could even be a very lonely season for some, God, I pray that over this next month that we would really look to who you are and what you've done as you brought your kingdom to earth in the form of a baby. And God, we ask that, that that thought and that truth would not be something that we lose in the midst of a season of busyness, but something that holds our attention both now and throughout this next year. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things you know, uh, and, and I know, and, and you've seen this probably take place in your life, and, and you, you've had some times in your life, and maybe you can remember back to even when you were a little kid, where someone said something to you, and it has literally stuck with you your entire life. And it might have been something really good. It might have been somebody that, in a really tough time in your life, or in a time in your life where you were discouraged, somebody came beside you and, and encouraged you and said something to you. They may not even have known that they were encouraging you, but for you, you look back on those words that they said, and those words that they said, they were a catalyst to something great that happened in your life, and, and it was such an encouragement to you. You might also have times in your life where you look back and someone, and maybe it was on purpose, maybe it wasn't on purpose, said something to you that hurt you in a way that, that they don't even remember saying it, but you're now 30 years later and you still remember it and you've maybe been to counseling because of it and it still has effect on your life. We've all had those types of, of situations, and we've all been on the other end where we have been the person that has said things that have encouraged people, and man, 10 years later, they come to you and say, hey, when you said this to me, and you're like, what? That sounds really good, but I don't remember saying it to you. Or on the other hand, where, where they come to you years later and say, man, when you said this, you didn't know it, but it deeply hurt me. Words are extremely powerful. Man's words impact. 
But, but as much as man's words have an impact on us, God's words not only impact us, but literally have the uh, opportunity and potential to not just impact us, but to change us for eternity. I can remember as a, as a college student, my very first summer, or actually second summer out of college, I was working at a camp. And I remember this because I was, in the, I was working in the part of the camp. There, was, there were campers that came and stayed for a week. And, and there was eight weeks of that. But then there were some kids that came and spent the whole summer there. And they spent the whole summer there and they kind of worked at the camp and helped run it. And I was part of the team that led those, those kids that came and helped run camp. And, and I remember there was a kid that got there and he got there a few days late. His name was Parker. And I remember going down, it was on an island, and so you, you had to actually take a, a boat from the mainland to this little island called Word of Life Island, and I remember going down to the boathouse to meet his mom and, and meet Parker and kind of show, take him to where he was going to be staying that summer and, and, and kind of help him get settled in and answer mom's questions. And, and then his job for the summer was he was going to be working in the dish pit. which at, at a camp that sees, you know, thousands of teenagers come to camp, man, Honestly, dish fit is not the place you want to work all summer, but he, he did. And so I remember watching him as he began working over the next few weeks, and he was a hard worker, seemed to have a good attitude. And then there was one night that I went up to his cabin, and at the end of the evening, every single cabin would have a devotional time, and I was making my way up to where his cabin was, and I saw Parker and one of his counselors sitting on a rock out in front of the cabin, and and so I, you know, they were obviously having a private conversation. So I went into the cabin. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go into where the Devos is and, and didn't really think much about it. But then I came back out after Devos was over, now about 30 or 40 minutes later, and they were still talking. And I thought, you know what, and I basically just kind of came up beside them and just sat down and listened. And Parker was, man, he was broken. He was in tears. And I remember as I began to listen to them talk that, what had happened to Parker in his life is basically every male figure that he had had in his life had let him down. So his father, his uncle, and I mean, he was just listing to the point where it became really, really clear that this, this guy, Parker, didn't, if you were a guy, he didn't trust you. And what happened, and I heard this through his testimony, he had taken what man had done to him and he was kind of putting that on God too and so he had no trust in God and so we began to pray this was about the middle of the summer that God would do a work in Parker's heart and that he would leave that camp with a relationship with Jesus and I remember week after week I would I would get with his counselor and say hey how's Parker doing is any you know anything happening in Parker's life and and it was coming to the end of the summer and there was like man nothing's happening and I remember literally thinking, God, are you about to let this kid leave a camp where they hear about you almost every single day and leave this camp and not have a relationship with you? Is that what's going to be the end of the story? And it was the very last week of camp, and, and we were in, in the auditorium where they were doing this drama on suicide. And, and at the end of this drama, the, the drama ended kind of uh, in a powerful way with this guy uh, on the stage, and, and he was going to make a really bad decision and take his life. And then the lights go black, and this verse of Scripture comes up on the, the screen, and that's how the whole thing closes. 
And I thought, man, that was a powerful way to end that. And everybody went back to their cabin. And then about a half hour later, I'm standing talking to somebody, and I see Parker's counselor running towards me. And he was a big guy. So he's running towards me. His name was Eric. And he literally picked me up and hugged me. And I'm like, what happened, dude? What? I mean, this is like 11 o'clock at night. What's going on, buddy? He says, Parker just accepted Jesus as his Savior. And I was like, dude. And we were so excited. And, and, but after our excitement, I was like, what? Dude, what, what was it? Like, what was the thing that turned the kind of switch on for him? And he said, Chris, when that verse of scripture went up on the screen, he couldn't say no anymore. God used that verse as the catalyst to move him from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And I just remember thinking, I knew God's word was powerful, but as I, as I just heard that testimony of how God had used one specific verse. And we had had conversations all summer long. And God used one verse to turn a guy from darkness to light and into a relationship with him. And, and, and I want you to think about this. As you look back over the last few years of your life, what impact has God's word had on your life? It, maybe maybe you, you might say it this way. You might say, you know what? I'm not a huge fan of what the Word of God says, so honestly, it hasn't made that big of an impact because I don't really spend much time in it because it's not just, it, I don't like a lot of what it says, and so I, I don't really spend time in it, so it's not made a big impact. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you would say, you know what, Chris, if I'm honest, I try to spend time in God's Word, but at the end of the day, I start to dive in and it gets pretty deep, and I don't really understand it. And you would be honest enough to just say, I just don't always understand it, so I don't really spend a lot of time in it. Or, or maybe you would say, you know what, Chris, for me, I'm, I'm in a, a spot in my life where, man, I'm really leaning into God's Word, and, and God's Word brings me encouragement and clarity in a way that nothing else has in my life. I don't know where you're at, but I would ask you that question. What impact has God's Word had on your life over the past few years? months and years. And, and no matter where you find yourself, here's what I want to encourage you to do. And I want to ask, ask you a question. And usually you wait to the end of a message to ask the question, but I want to ask the question at the beginning and let you think about it. Here's the question, no matter where you would say you are as it, as, it, as it relates to God's word, maybe you're somebody that's not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you spend hours in God's word every day. Here's my question for you. Would you be willing to take the month of December to lean in in a way that maybe you never have to God's Word? Would you be willing, no matter if you're a, a teenager, no matter if you've been following Jesus for 60 years, or maybe somebody invited you here and you, you've never opened God's Word uh, ever, would you be willing to take the month of December and maybe in a way that you never have, just lean into what God's word says? See, would you be willing to pray? And I'm going to put this up on the, on the screen. Would you be willing to pray this specific prayer? God, I'm going to set aside time to spend in your word. Please speak to me and give me the courage to do what you say. Would you be willing to pray that prayer? Again, 
Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet. Maybe you've been following him forever. Would you be willing in this month of December to pray this prayer to God? See, throughout the scriptures, whether it's in the Old Testament where there would be a prophet that would speak God's words, or whether it was an angel in the New Testament that came to a lady by the name of Mary that was a teenager and spoke God's word, God's word throughout the scripture, we see it it being used in extremely powerful ways in, in palaces and in stables to people that were far from God and to people that were prophets of God. We see how his word was used in an incredibly powerful way. And if you have your, your scriptures today or you can look in the app, I want you to turn to the book of Acts. I want you to turn to the book of Acts and we'll have this up on the screen because in the book of Acts is, is one of those times that you see God's word used and, and used in such a powerful way in people's lives. And so if you have this, your, your scriptures, you can turn to the book of Acts and, and here's kind of the setup. Jesus has, has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's actually went back into heaven, and here's what he's promised his followers. Hey, when I leave, it's actually going to get better because I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that's going to comfort you, that's going to encourage you, that's going to teach you. And so actually, when I leave, as much as you don't want me to leave, there's actually something coming that's going to be an encouragement and a teacher to you, the Holy Spirit. And so now his followers are literally sitting in Jerusalem. Kind of all of the region and parts of the world have come together in the city of Jerusalem for a religious holiday, religious feast, religious event. And all of Jesus' followers, his guys are just kind of hanging out like, okay, you said this spirit thing was coming and we're kind of afraid. We don't really know what's happening. And so, all right, what's going to happen? And then the Holy Spirit comes to these people and we see God's word used in a really powerful way. And when the Holy Spirit came to them, it did two things. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So all these people, they're his followers, and they're, they're kind of hanging out. They're waiting. They've been promised this Holy Spirit, and they're, they're kind of hanging out, waiting for something to happen. And, and the Holy Spirit comes, and these fearful people that aren't really sure what to do, a couple things happen right away. First thing is the Holy Spirit gives them courage they hadn't had before. The second thing is the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to speak in known languages to people in that city, languages that they didn't know before then and so all this happens and and, and watch it says this in verse 5 now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven remember this was like a feast a lot of people from all over the world had come together and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language God was so serious about getting his words out that he removed the barrier of language. All these people are gathered in this city. 
from every tribe, nation, speak a bunch of different languages. And all of a sudden, Jesus' followers now have the Holy Spirit. They have courage. And they go out to begin to tell these people that had come to the city about Jesus. And they talk about the Old Testament. And they're actually able to speak in languages that they never took a class for. Like this dude over here, he's speaking to like the French people in French. And he never took French. This guy over here, he's talking in German, and he never took a German class, but he's telling people about Jesus in that language. I mean, it, it was amazing. And, and this is taking place, and man, these people, they're not sure what's going on. And, and what happens is, as, as these people are gathered, and they're like, what is happening? Even thinking like, these guys, they must have been drinking. Like some of these guys, they... These disciples, they must be drunk because this is weird. And Peter's like, really? Drunk in the morning? Like, we're, we're not drunk. In the, come on. Uh, it, it, but he's, they're speaking in these languages. And then all of a sudden, Peter, and, and the other ones are teaching too, but Peter gets up and he begins to teach from the Old Testament. He begins to point to Jesus. He begins to point to Jesus' death and resurrection. He begins to point to the people that are listening, their part in Jesus' death and resurrection. He talks from the, the book of Joel and other parts of the scriptures. And, and we see God's word do something that to this point they had never seen happen. It says this. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So do you, do you see the picture? Do you see you're in the middle of a city? People from, I mean, just imagine a big city that you would go to. People from all over the world are together. This guy Peter's up and he's teaching and everyone seems to be listening. They're hearing what he's saying in their own language. And he's talking to them about this Jesus that they've heard of but don't know a lot of. He's pointing back to the Old Testament. He's using verses that, that came from the Old Testament. And as they hear these words, these people, they're not running away. They seem to be leaning in. And it says, when they heard these words, they were cut or pricked to their heart. And they said, hey, what do we need to do? I, as a kid, and you know this if you have kids, like the one day of, of the year that you actually try to go to school is the day you're going to the doctor to get shots. Like that's the day where you're, you're trying to work out. Every other day you might want to stay home from school, but man, if you know you're going to like the dentist or you're going to the doctor and today happens to be shot day, you're, you're trying to go to school. You're trying to avoid that because, I mean, who likes to get stabbed with a needle? Nobody. And if you do, there's a whole other message for you. We'll talk about that later. But, but you know that I can remember as a little kid going to the doctor, getting shots. I, I obviously didn't like shots, but the thing I hated the worst was when that nurse would come in. Usually you pee in a cup and you do a few other things, and that's embarrassing but not terrible. But then they come in and they're like, hey, I just need to take a little blood. And they prick you in your finger. And I remember that being the thing I hated the worst. I'm like, ma'am, I'll pull a scab off. You can have all the blood you want. What do you need? I don't like getting pricked. And neither do you. No, no one likes to get pricked. No one likes to feel discomfort. Whether it's physically or spiritually, we avoid discomfort. 
And, and these people, as they're hearing God's word spoken to them in this city, Jerusalem, by this guy Peter and his friends, it, it says that their, their hearts are cut, their, their hearts are pierced, there's discomfort. And instead of leaning away and avoiding the situation, these people seem to lean in and understand that this discomfort they're feeling is going to lead to some type of action. They have to do something about it. See, I wrote this in my notes. Their response to discomfort was not pointing to someone else. Do you find yourself doing that? I, I do. When I start to feel convicted about something, I can always point to somebody else quick. Like, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Or, you know, did you hear about, you know, or you kind of avoid the subject, change the subject. Instead of doing that, these people, they leaned in and instead of avoiding it, instead of pointing to somebody else, they leaned in and understood we have to do something. We cannot stay the same. I remember when I was in, in high school, my cousin, his name was Chris, and he was actually... Uh, he was my uncle, but he was kind of like a cousin because we were so close in age. Uh, he lived in Indiana, and we lived in Florida. And he would come down when he was in college. He loved, he was a swimmer, so he loved to go to the beaches in Florida. And so he would come down a few times a year. And I remember one time when he came down, he, he went to church with us, and we had been burdened for him as a family and just asking God to work in his heart. And I remember sitting in church with him and, and my pastor growing up, his name was J.O. Purcell, and he was Lakeland, Florida, a little Heritage Baptist Church. And we were, had our little row that we sat in every single week, don't ever sit in our row, that was our, the Fincham family row. And so my, my uncle Chris, he found a spot on the Fincham family row and he was there. And I remember that service just thinking about my uncle as my pastor was preaching and just kind of hoping, God, man, do something in my uncle's life. And at the end of the service, I think they probably, it was kind of old school. I think they actually like gave an invitation and did the deal. And he never responded. But I remember just, ah, oh, burden for my uncle. And after church was over, my uncle told my dad, who was his brother, he said, I can't leave here without talking to somebody. Like, he, he didn't go forward, didn't make any kind of public, but he just, something was sitting inside of him after he heard God's word that day, and he, he told my, my dad, I can't leave. And he, he went and talked with my pastor and accepted Jesus as his Savior that day. But I, I just remember that standing out to me just another time when, when my, my uncle was feeling, man, he was feeling convicted. He knew God was doing something. It would have been easy to avoid it and just, man, he was on vacation, just kind of get up and, and go and never come back. But it was in that discomfort that instead of, of moving away from it, God's word had worked in his heart in such a way that he said, I cannot avoid this. I have to do something about this. I have to talk to someone. And I'm so thankful that he did. And that's what these people were doing. They were hearing Peter and he was talking through the Old Testament and sharing scripture and talking about Jesus. And they're like, man, something's happening inside of us and we have to do something. What should we do? And he's, they're looking to Peter and, and here's what Peter said. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, hey, here's the first step. The first step is you need to change 
your mind about Jesus and follow him. That's what the word repent means. You need to change your mind about Jesus and then you, and you need to follow him. And then to show the world that you've changed your mind about Jesus and that now you're a follower of him, you need to be baptized to publicly declare what's happened to you on the inside. That's your first step. And watch what happens. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And look at what happens. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Imagine that day. I mean, we're not talking about... 20. We're not talking about hundreds. We're talking about thousands of people that became followers of Jesus and joined this young baby church in one day. And you may be sitting there like, we have got to be missing something. I mean, this is kind of great. Thousands of people like, like we, we've, there's got to be something special formula that somewhere in here that maybe we're missing. Are, are you telling me that thousands of people were in Jerusalem from all over the world? And, and are you telling me that Peter and his uneducated friends got up and God used them to share his word in their language? And God used just that to bring thousands of people to become followers of Jesus? Wasn't there something else? Wasn't there a little bit more to it? Was there more something? There was nothing else. God used his word with his spirit to draw thousands of people to himself in one day. There was no secret formula. There was no smoke and lights. There was no special pill. It was God's spirit using God's word to draw people to himself. See, God's word has the power to change people in a way that nothing else does. Look what happens. I mean, again, this little group of probably 70, maybe 100 people now is thousands of people all like in one afternoon. So, I mean, what do you do with that? Well, look, what, look what happened. In verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. See, God used his word not, not just to change their heart, but to literally change their agenda. Like these people had not come to this city to study the scriptures and hang out with the apostles. That's not why they came to Jerusalem. They had come to Jerusalem for a religious ceremony to kind of, for some of them, to kind of check that box this year, to see maybe some friends they hadn't seen in a year, to kind of do the deal and go home. They had not come to this city to have their life radically changed and to, instead of hanging out with their old friends, be in a home studying scripture, hanging out with this guy named Peter. But God used his word in such a powerful way that he not only changed their heart, but he changed their agenda 100%. See, 
They couldn't get enough of the teaching and the time as a, as a gathering with Jesus' followers. Their agenda changed. And, and, and I bet we could go around this room for some of you, and you could tell me that story in your life. You could tell me about how God's word changed not just your heart, but your whole agenda. I remember my uh, brother Brent, which he's actually been here. Uh, he was here the first service. He lives in Alabama. He was the third of three boys. He was the youngest. Uh, we're two years and two years, so he's about four years younger than me because I'm the oldest. And Brent, for our family, was kind of like the black sheep. So there's me, and I was like, as a high schooler, I was like, eh, never got too high, never got too low. I wasn't like a terrible kid. I wasn't like on fire for Jesus all the time. I was just kind of in the middle, faithful to youth group, kind of did that. And then there was my brother, Matt. And he'll be here at some point. Matt was the kid that, like, when he had a birthday party, he had as many old people at his birthday party as he had teenagers. Because everyone loved Matt. He was the kid, every, he was the kid that, that going and, and standing around the flagpole once a year and praying wasn't enough. So he did that every single day at school. And uh, Chris Dowdy was friends with, with Matt. In fact, Matt, or Chris Dowdy tells the story of how my brother Matt helped lead him to Jesus. So that was my brother Matt. He was that kid. My brother Brent, he was the kid that was throwing rocks at the kids standing around the flagpole praying, laughing at them. And he was the kid that he did all the things your parents hope you don't do as teenagers. He did all of them. Uh, he was the kid, I remember, we'd be sitting in church and communion would pass and he wouldn't even pretend. He wouldn't take communion. He's like, nah, I'm not, not really into all this. Uh, he wasn't fake. He just was bad all the time. And I remember sitting down with him his, after his senior year, and uh, he was working at a place called the Rib Crib, and he was washing dishes. And it was a senior year summer, and I sat down with him at his little restaurant, and I just we had a pretty good relationship. And in, in the midst of our conversation, I looked at him, I said, Brent, you're a loser. Like, you're a loser. You, every part of your life, you're a loser. You know what's right, and you choose to do what's wrong. You're going nowhere. You're, you're a loser. And I said, here's what I propose to you, man. And, and we had talked about this before. I said, I propose that you go to one semester of the Word of Life Bible Institute. See, I had gone there. My brother Matt had gone there. I, I propose that you just go for one semester, and if you go there, and after one semester hate it and come home at Christmas break and don't want to go back, I'll never bother you again. And so he was at a spot, he's like, I don't really have anything else to do, so I'll, I'll kind of get my family off my back and I'll do it. So he went. And I can remember putting my brother on the plane in Orlando, sending him to New York to be at this college, and within a few weeks, talking to him on the phone and him just weeping like I had never heard my brother and my brother Brent, he was a wrestler in high school. He was one of those kids that, that tried to kind of be hard on the outside all the time. And, and he was, that's just who he was. So for him to be broken like this was crazy. And what happened was the very first week of college that the professor was teaching through the book of James. And the book of James talks about how faith without works is dead. And my brother Brent, he came to a place in that first few weeks at school that he realized he was not a follower of Jesus and he was lost without Christ. 
And he, he accepted Christ at, I mean, at Bible school, and he accepts Jesus. I remember picking him up at the airport for Christmas break and watching the difference in my brother, just even in his eyes. The same boys that he was partying with the summer before, he was sitting across the table, inviting them to church, sharing Christ with them, leading some of them to the Lord. My brother's life had changed radically. The agenda that he had just months earlier and the agenda he had now because of the power of God's word in his life was totally different. And that's what God's word does, and we see it all throughout Scripture. We could point to many of our own lives, how we were going one direction, and God used his word and his spirit, maybe through a person that shared it with us, and our life was going one way, and our life totally changed because of God's word. And that's what happened. These people had come to Jerusalem kind of like, man, we're here to have our, our, our feast and our celebration, and God's word through his vessels, these apostles, it radically changed their agenda. But look what else happened. It says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, the proceeds to all as any had need. And so imagine this, this this group of a few hundred that's now thousands. They're studying the scriptures. They're, They're, at this point, literally selling the things that they have. And they're finding ways to be generous and give to others. And here's why. For some of these people, when they said yes to Jesus, they were kicked out of their family. And so there were people, like when we say yes to Jesus in America, it's fairly easy. I mean, we make it maybe more complicated and hard, but these people, when they said yes to Jesus, there were some radical things that would happen in their life and some consequences. And so for some of them, they lost everything. And so these people, as God's word was working in their heart, they became just supernaturally generous and they helped others. And again, it's pointed back to God using his word through his spirit. And I think... Another reason these people were so generous is because they were told Jesus was coming back. And they actually really believed that. Like, this is not what it's all about. Like, there's actually eternity. And there's actually a day that Jesus is, and for them, Jesus had just left not long. So they weren't thinking, oh, it's probably going to be at least 2,000 years. They're thinking like, hey, it could be tomorrow. And we might say that, but they actually believe that. And so this idea of like, why do I need all this stuff? Yeah, oh, you have a need? Well, why can't I just help you? Because you have a need and Jesus is coming back and, and, and God's doing something in my life. that where This stuff that was important to me before, it's not important anymore. And you see this happening. And, and then in verse 46, it says this, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you, you literally have every single day this Group of 100 is now thousands, and every single day you see God just adding and giving favor. And all these people were doing, they were just 
studying the scriptures. They were fellowshipping together. They were seeing where there was needs and meeting those needs. And this was just such a radical idea in their day that, man, people were just joining. Like, just wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, this Jesus, I see how he's changed you. How can I get a Je- I want that. And literally, day by day, I mean, think about just Yuba City. If, if just in one day, 3,000 people trusted Jesus, that would change our city. And, and they're getting to a spot where if you continue to read in the book of Acts, there's other days where 5,000 people come to Christ. What would it be like if just 50 people? Like if we had a Sunday where 50 people trusted Jesus, that would be ridiculous in a good way. And they were seeing thousands and there wasn't anything fancy. It was, man, here's the scriptures. Here's how Jesus has changed my life. Oh, by the way, I was there when he died and rose again. I actually saw him. Oh, you have a need? Let me help meet that. And it was because of God's word in their life. And and, and here's what's interesting. To be honest, from a human perspective, for many, life hadn't gotten better since they met Jesus. So for some of these people, you read this, this last portion, it says they're glad, they have generous hearts, they're praising God, there's joy, there's unity, and you think, oh, it must be an easy life. No, actually, it's for a lot of them, socially it's gotten harder, financially it's gotten harder, their safety has been being affected. In fact, they were about to be, move into a time where they would be scattered throughout the world because of persecution, but yet all this is happening and you hear this gladness, joy, unity, thousands are joining This is like, if you want your life to get worse, join our team. And they're like, yes. Because, yeah, life on the outside was getting worse, but something was happening on the inside that was far better than what they had experienced before. And it pointed back to one day in Jerusalem where a guy named Peter and his buddies got up and supernaturally were able to share the word of God from the Old Testament and point to Jesus and that was the catalyst to everything changing see and this is this is important God's word we know this has the power to change people it it does he uses it to comfort the hurting some of you you say yes I've I've experienced that He, he uses it to challenge the apathetic maybe you've had a time in your life where you've kind of been like eh, sitting on the fence And God used his word to really challenge you. He he uses it to give clarity. Maybe during a time in your life where there's some confusion, you're not sure what to do. And God's used his word to bring clarity to that situation. He uses it to encourage people that are being faithful. But here's something, and I want you to hear this. As I'm, I'm kind of landing the plane here, but I really want you to hear this. Because this, this is uh, something that, I don't think is clear in our world, in the church world. God's word is not powerful because it teaches great principles. And it does teach great principles. In fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it would still be a wise thing to follow like principles and proverbs for your business and parenting. Even if you never follow Jesus, there's a lot of wisdom in the scriptures. But that's not why God's word's powerful. God's word is not powerful because 
it's full of inspirational stories. And it is. There's, man, there's stories throughout about characters that God did crazy stuff. That man, if you read it, it's just like, I mean, there's been several times I've been reading the scriptures like, man, if they made a movie about this, I mean, just the stories that challenge you. But that's not why God's word's powerful. God's word is not powerful because it, it gives us insight into history, and it does. You can look throughout the Old Testament, and if you're a historian, you can, you can read about kings and events. You can see Alexander the Great, and you can see different things throughout history that the, the scriptures lend light to. And Man, it, it, there's a lot of history in there, but that's not why God's Word's powerful. See, it does all those things, but here's why God's Word is powerful. God's Word is powerful because it teaches us about God. That's why God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful because as we spend time in his word, we learn more about God and we're able to love him more and we're able to become more like his son, Jesus. His word is powerful because it teaches us about God. And God is why we celebrate Christmas, because God became a man. Because the Bible says Emmanuel is God with us. God became one of us. And as you read the scriptures, I hope you don't read the scriptures in this way. And maybe you do, but maybe this will help change it. All right, let me get three quick lessons for my life that I can apply. And it does that, but don't, we don't read the scriptures with that lens. Let me find the practical leadership tips or the practical what, you know, whatever what if we read the scriptures like, hey, you know what? What does this Acts 2 teach me about God? Let me start there. And from that perspective, okay, because of what it teaches me about God, now how does what I've learned about God affect my life? How does that speak to what is going on in my life because of what I know about God? See, God's word is powerful because it teaches us about God. And when I know God better, I'm able to love him more and become more like his son, Jesus. And that's why God's word is so powerful. That's why you are able to tell me stories of your own life and how God used his word and his spirit to radically change you. And it wasn't because you got three helpful tips. It was because God invaded your heart and you couldn't say no and he radically changed you from the inside out. That's why God's word is powerful. And so as I started today, I ask you this question. As you look back over the past few weeks or few years, what impact has God's word had on your life? See, if, if you're here and you would say, and I, I love that, and we have honest conversations in our church, which I love. People are honest. You don't have to wear a mask here. Some of you might say, you know what? Not a lot. Uh, it, it hasn't been real helpful. And, and there, there, there's probably one of two reasons that if you're, if you're here and you would say, hey, man, I, I just don't have a desire for God's word. It just doesn't have a big effect on my life. It might be one of two reasons. And it's probably the same two reasons that you wouldn't physically want to eat, you don't spiritually want to eat, and it's simply this, either we're sick or we're dead. So when you're sick, you, you know this, 
And I, if, you've, if you've had like the throw-ups lately, and I hope you haven't, and if you have, I hope you're not here uh, giving it to everybody else. But, but if, if you've had the throw-ups, then you would think of like your favorite meal of all time. If you're sick to your stomach and you got a bucket on one side and you've been hanging out at the john with your face in it, it's not been good the last few days, somebody could bring you your all-time favorite meal, favorite dessert made exactly the way you love it, and you're like, get that out of here. Because, man, when you're sick, you're not hungry. And, and when we spiritually... When, when there's things in our life that, man, God has said are not pleasing to him, are not helpful, the Bible calls them sin, then, man, if there's things like that in our life, then we're not going to have a desire to spend time with God when our life has things in it that are making us sick spiritually, but also dead. I mean, not to be crude, but, I mean, have you ever been to a funeral where the guy or gal in the coffin sat up and said, hey, guys, where are we going to lunch? No, that's, that's like rude for me even to say that. Why? Because dead people don't eat. They don't want to eat. There's no hunger inside of them. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the scriptures, not me, say that you are spiritually dead. And actually, you can do nothing in and of yourself to make yourself alive. It has to be God using his word and his spirit to make you alive. And, and he invites, he wants that for you. But if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then man, I get it. Why would you want to spend time in his word unless he was doing something in you to draw you to that? And so here's what I, I want to ask. I ask at the very beginning, even if you would say, hey, Chris, as you were describing sick, I, yeah, there's some things in my life that don't have me leaning into God's word. Or Chris, I don't have a relationship with God, never really desired to spend time in his word. Here's what I would ask. Would you be willing, no matter where you are, to over the month of December to lean into God's word on a regular basis and pray this simple prayer? God, I'm going to set aside time to spend in your word. Please speak to me and give me the courage to do what you say. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to pray that prayer? I'm not asking you to make a New Year's resolution. You can stop on December 26th. But here's what, between now and December 25th, would you be willing to lean in? And we want to give you a real practical tool because it's great to oh, read your Bible. So what do I do? Where do I start? Do I just open it up and put my finger in and then start there? No. Let, let me give you a tool. If you have your app open in the sermon notes, if you go down at the bottom of the sermon notes, there's a, a link to a 25-day Advent reading uh, program. Just not doesn't take a lot of time each day. And it a, it's a, will help us kind of get focused on the, what this season's about. It's right there in the app. You can click on it. If you're the type of person like, I'm not all into all that technology stuff, I have 25 paper versions, and they're at the next steps table. And, and you say, I don't want to look through the little online whatever, just whatever. I have, still have my flip phone. I'm not trying to get all technical. I just want to read my Bible. Okay. Well, at the next steps table is, there's a, just a, it's not fancy, just one piece of paper, and it has the 25 days listed and, and the passages each day. But I, I want to ask you to lean in. I'm going to do it. My, in fact, I did uh, day one this morning, and I want to encourage you to lean in because 
and here's what I want to close with before we pray. Imagine, just imagine, just pretend. What would be different about your relationships? What could be different about your anxiety? What might be different about your work? What could maybe happen in your parenting if God's word was a part of your life on a daily basis? Like, could it affect? Like, if you were spending time in God's word and and seeking to learn about God, could that affect your parenting this month? Would that affect maybe the anxiety that you go to bed with every night? Could, could it speak into that? Might it help us with our relationships with people? Might it even affect my burden for people that don't know Jesus if I spent time with God on a daily basis, just for 25 days? I just want you to imagine what it might look like for you. And then I want to ask you to lean in and commit to spend time with God for 25 days. Jesus, we're so thankful that this walk that we call the Christian life is not something that we can do by ourselves, and you don't even ask us to. You don't ask us to love you by ourselves. You don't ask us to treat our neighbors well by ourselves. In fact, you tell us that our tries at that are actually compared to filthy rags. All of our good is is compared to filthy rags. It's only because of what you've done inside of us that gives us the power and the desire to spend time with you, that gives us the power and desire to love our neighbor that gives us the power and desire to be generous when everything inside of us is telling us to be selfish. Lord, we admit we can't please you on our own, but we're so thankful for the power that's inside of us that you've given us to do what you've asked us to do. And God, I pray for our gathering here, that we would be a a gathering, whether we're a follower of you at this point, whether we're investigating you, whether we've been following you for a long time, that we would be a gathering that just takes this season and says, hey, I'm willing to lean into the scriptures. I believe God can do something in my parenting, in my anxiety, in in the different issues of my life. And it's not going to be because I find some practical tips. It's going to be because I learn more about God and that will transform me. And so God, I'm asking that you, in a way that only you can, would speak to each of our hearts this month as we spend time with you. God, I pray that you would draw people to yourself. I pray that you would challenge people I pray that you would do things in our hearts that we've maybe been waiting years for. And God, you want to do through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.